Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, insurance expert and Medicare Supplement Accredited Advisor Danielle Kunkel-Roberts from Boomer Benefits runs us through everything we need to know about Medicare right now. The basics from parts A to D, as well as how to sign up, Medicare mistakes to avoid, Medigap versus Medicare Advantage, and what the future holds for Medicare. Will Medicare for all or Medicare at 50 become a reality? Plus, the fellas answer your email questions. Are health insurance premiums deductible? And when do you pay taxes to the IRS when you plan your charitable donations over multiple years? I'm producer Andy Last, and here with our guest, Danielle Kunkel-Roberts, are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. We got this guest specifically for you. Because I'm older than you. I'm I'm approaching uh, Medicare age, Yes, and I'm sure you're getting flooded with a whole bunch of mail. No, I'm not that old. You're close. I'm getting there. (laughs) I'm not that old. You're getting close, (laughs) my friend. Uh, We have uh, Danielle Roberts on the line. Yes. And she's a Medicare expert. Well, I, you know what? And, and that's great because I think there's a lot of confusion how Medicare works. So, Yeah, she's um, at boomerbenefits.com, which is a phenomenal website. I'm sure you've been on multiple times. I'm a boomer, so you know. That's, <laughs> I'm interested in that. Uh, Danielle, welcome, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Hey, um, so you're an expert in Medicare. Yes. Let's let's start out with the ABCs. Yeah, you know yeah. how, I mean, how does it's, it's how does so it, confusing. How does it work? <laughs> let's, yeah, let's start at the basics. I think that's a great place to start. And most people are confused by this part because there's Medicare has its own parts, and then there's Medigap plans, which also have letters, which makes everything more confusing. So the first two pieces that you really need to know about are what we call original Medicare or traditional Medicare, and this is parts A and B. Part A is your inpatient hospital insurance. It's going to take care of that semi-private room and the doctor and nurse that come around to check on you and three square meals a day. Also pays for things like skilled nursing, blood transfusions, and hospice. And then the part that you use more often is Part B, which is your outpatient coverage. And this is going to pay for all the things that you and I would think of as outpatient coverage, like doctor visits and lab tests and MRIs. But it also covers some things which could be expensive, like outpatient surgeries, chemotherapy, radiation, dialysis. And those two pieces together are the foundation of your coverage. They're going to pay together for about 80% of the costs of your health care and retirement. Um, part C and D came later. So Part C is what we call the Medicare Advantage Program. And this is just an option if you choose to get your benefits through a private insurance company instead of through original Medicare. You can do that by purchasing an Advantage plan, and that's Part C. And Part D is the most recent part of Medicare, which was rolled out in 2006. Prior to that, we had no drug coverage for people on Medicare. And since it rolled out here the last 13 years, people have had access to cheaper medications by purchasing a Part D drug plan, which allows them to pay a copay for their medications instead of footing that entire bill. So those are your basic four parts of Medicare. Question. So if I have A and B, but don't have C and D, you said that would cover about 80% of my health. Um, yes. Out of, or, and then so 20% would be out of pocket. That's correct. If I go C and D, is it then 100% shirt up or how much more? I think confusion happens is that, well, once I have Medicare, everything is taken care of. Yes, you're exactly right. So people do think that. And a lot of times people are also not aware that Medicare is not free. So you pay taxes during your working lifetime um, and that will go to pay for Part A. Most people enter Medicare and they don't pay premiums for their inpatient coverage, but Part B 
has a standard base premium uh, around $135 a month. So you pay for that. And then in addition, you also have that 20% that you pay out of pocket. There's some deductibles that you pay. So there's a couple ways that you can shore that up. One would be to purchase a traditional Medigap plan, which pays after Medicare. So Medicare pays its 80%, sends the remainder of the bill onto your Medigap company to pay the other 20% and some of your deductibles, depending on which Medigap plan that you choose. That's one way that you can go. And this is the way that would allow you to see any doctors uh, on Medicare across the nation, which is over 800,000 providers. It's a vast network. Your other option would be to choose the Advantage plan instead. And if you go that route, then you're still gonna have some co-pays for things, like your plan might charge you $10 at the primary care doctor or $40 at a specialist. If you go in the hospital, it might be $200 a night. There's some things like that, but the Advantage plans are less expensive, so you have lower premiums, and you're still gonna have some co-pays as you go along, which appeals to many different groups of people, but one of them would be people that are relatively healthy as they age into Medicare, might like the idea of a lower premium, just kind of paying co-pays for things as they go along. With the um, the Medigap or the Advantage plans, mm-hmm. uh, do I have to go to a separate insurance agent um, to, to shop that, or how, how does that all work if someone was interested in, in looking to, to share some of that, those costs up? Yes, that's correct. So most people would work through an insurance broker like Boomer Benefits, and a broker can shop all the different plans that are available in your area, provide you quotes, give you basics on how the plans will work for you. They can look up things like financial ratings of the companies, the company's rate trend history, like what have their rate increases been like. The good thing about the Medigap plans is that they're standardized. So for example, right now, the most comprehensive plan that you can buy is a plan F, which covers all the gaps and leaves you with virtually nothing out of pocket. You can buy that plan from a dozen or more insurance companies in your area. And this allows you to compare them based on price because Medicare makes the benefits standard so that you know that if you're buying your policy from Blue Cross or Humana or Aetna, if it's a plan F, those benefits are going to be the same from basically from company to company. This makes it a little bit easier to shop. If you don't use a broker, you could also do it the old school way, which would be to contact insurance companies and have them quote you over the phone. So you could make a phone call to those same carriers, have them quote you their prices. And if you wanted to do that legwork on your own, you could go that route. There's a lot of, I would imagine, specialization. You know, I think each plan would be a little bit different for, you know, you know, Al and I, for instance, are polar opposites. <laughs> That's why we like each other. Because <laughs> he'll probably need a whole bunch of stuff. In, uh, uh, you, it's just the opposite, really. I was going to say. I'm going to be wow. the healthy one. <laughs> um, yeah, I do look 65 and I'm only 40. <laughs> so what, what, I mean, what are mistakes people are making when they enroll? Um, because I would imagine maybe they hear it from a friend. Oh, this is what I got. Oh, that sounds good. So, I mean, what are, what are some mistakes you're seeing? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You hit the nail on the head. So one of the mistakes they make is just not understanding the differences between a Medigap plan and an Advantage plan. The Medigap plans cost more, but that's because they are more comprehensive. You have a wider access. You can see all the providers across the nation. If you have cancer and you want to treat at MD Anderson down in Houston, arguably one of the best cancer hospitals in the world, you would be able to go and use your original Medicare there. You've got access, you don't have to get referrals, but that's why they cost a little bit more. On the Advantage plans, in some areas, urban areas especially, you can sometimes enroll in an Advantage plan for what's called a zero premium, meaning the plan doesn't charge you anything at all for the plan itself. 
they get paid by Medicare to take on your medical risk. And so this is, of course, extremely attractive to many people. And they might have Sally at Sunday school that says, well, I have this plan and I pay nothing and it's fabulous. The mistakes that people make is not realizing that there's co-pays as you go along on the back end. You need to know what those are. So, for example, many Advantage plans will charge 20% for things like chemotherapy or dialysis, which are insanely expensive. So 20% of that is quite a lot of money. You want to make sure that you've got some money set aside in a rainy day fund for a year where your health expenses might be more than the average year. Also, the Advantage plans have networks. So if you just join one without checking to see that your doctors and favorite hospitals are in the network, you could show up to a doctor appointment and have them tell you, oh, sorry, you're not covered here. And then you're locked into this plan for a calendar year at a time. So it's super important to do your research ahead of time, really understand the differences between the two plans, run the numbers, work with a broker that can help you run some of those numbers and do the research with you. You also wanna check and make sure that if you're enrolling in an Advantage plan that includes drug coverage, which many of them do, have the Part D rolled right in, you wanna check the list of drugs on that formulary, make sure that the medications that you take are listed there so that you don't have this plan that doesn't cover an expensive medication that you need. So that's one of the biggest areas where we see people make mistakes when they're making a choice between those two types of coverage. If all this Medicare info is whizzing past faster than you can possibly take notes, don't worry about it. You can put the pen down. Go to the show notes for this podcast episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and read the transcript of the entire interview. Get the link to Danielle Kunkel Roberts' website, Boomer Benefits, and check out some additional Medicare resources courtesy of YMYW. And you know, even if you aren't yet Medicare age, you probably know someone who is, like your parents or grandparents perhaps. Hit the share button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to send this episode to them via email or on social media and help them navigate the Medicare maze. Make sure you're all subscribed to the YMYW podcast. It's free. As soon as we put out a new episode, it will automatically be available on your device and you can listen to any episodes, new or old, whenever you want. Now, more on Medicare with Danielle Kunkel-Roberts. Let's talk about signing up for Medicare, because I think a lot of us know that that's age 65, but, but there's a lot of confusion on how to sign up or when you're supposed to sign up, or what if I am still working and I'm covered under my employer's you plan, bet. or what if my spouse is still working and I'm covered under her plan? How, how does all this work? These are the questions that we get every day, so these are perfect. When you turn 65, you have a seven-month window to enroll in Medicare, and if Medicare is going to be your primary coverage, you definitely don't want to miss that window because there are late enrollment penalties. For example, if you just didn't know that you needed to sign up, and then a year or so down the road you figured it out, you would pay a 10% penalty on top of your Part B premium for all the rest of the years that you were enrolled in Medicare. So if you don't have any other coverage, it's super important to enroll in both Medicare Parts A and B during that initial seven-month window, which starts three months before your birthday, runs through your birthday month, and lasts three months after. That's that's the time to sign up. But why, why like do they said, have why do they have that penalty? What's the reason um, for that? The penalty, I think, is because the I'm just guessing at this, but I'm assuming that somebody goes and fails to enroll, and then they Get do sick. end up with cancer. Now they're down at the county hospital and taxpayers are funding the bill for that person's cancer treatment because they failed to enroll in the coverage that they should have had. And, and pay for it. So yes. Okay. So it's sort of like yeah. a catch up, I guess. All right. Yes. So they want you to enroll. They want to make sure that you get that coverage in place. But so many people these days are working well past age 65, as you know. And so the question becomes, well, if I have group employer coverage, do I really need Medicare? 
So what matters is the size of the group. So if you have employer coverage, either through your own employer or through a spouse, and that employer employs 20 or more people, that coverage will be primary. In that scenario, you could just enroll in Medicare Part A, since Medicare Part A, we said, doesn't cost anything for most people because you've paid taxes for that during your working lifetime. That Part A coverage can coordinate with your group insurance. So if you have a hospital stay, Part A may pay some of the portion of the deductible that you're paying on your group plan and thereby reducing your costs for that inpatient stay. But you could delay Parts B and D since those have premiums and your group coverage already gives you outpatient coverage and drug coverage. It makes sense to delay those and not have to pay double premiums um, and have double coverage. So that's usually the way people will go if you work for a large employer. But where you can make a mistake is if you work for a smaller employer, you or a spouse, and your coverage is through an employer with less than 20, Medicare is primary in that scenario. So it's super important that you sign up for both A and B because you don't want to have primary coverage that you're not enrolled in. And you go in and have a surgery and find out you didn't have Part B to pay the 80%, you are going to pay the 80%, and you're going to pay a late penalty later on when you finally figured out you should have enrolled in uh, parts A and B. So if you work for a small employer, super important to sign up for Medicare during that initial seven-month window. And then you could choose whether you want to have your group coverage be secondary based on cost, and you could compare that against the cost of a Medigap or an Advantage plan, and then you could decide if you want to stick with that employer coverage or go on the private route, whichever works out best for you financially. So best practice, you turned 65 or went within the, the enrollment window, automatically just sign up for Part A and then discuss with HR or whoever your employer is to see who the primary or secondary is to see if you should then enroll in the other coverages? Correct. And if your employer doesn't know about it, there's plenty of great information online. Medicare.gov has a great website that goes over all of the rules for eligibility and how um, Medicare coordinates with other coverages. So a lot of times the group HR rep will be able to give you some direction, but if they are unsure or they don't want to give you those answers because they maybe aren't so certain themselves, then you can also find a lot of that information online. So my uh, parents in their 80s, they, they complain all the time about their <laughs> doctors are not taking Medicare anymore. And I'm just wondering how common this is that, 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 that medical uh, professionals decide not to take Medicare, and so then my parents have to find yet another doctor. Sure. So what happens is currently about 91% of all physicians do accept Medicare, but they get full on baby boomers. So baby boomers and seniors, Medicare's reimbursement rate to that doctor is considerably less than they are getting reimbursed when you or I, someone under 65, goes in and treats with them. So they will limit a portion of their practice to Medicare patients. And once that, that is full, they'll say, we're not taking any new Medicare patients. So they may take Medicare, but it could be that they're not going to take any more new people on Medicare because they already have too many of those people in their practice and, you know, they have bills to pay and a business to run themselves. Yeah. And I, we and also I, see, I was just going to say, I think what happens or what I've heard, so my parents will have, they'll have doctors for years and then they'll retire and then mm -hmm. they find it, they want to get another doctor and they get a referral from somebody that says, oh, I don't take Medicare. Yes. That's exactly what happens. So, you know, if you if you retire and you're seeing the doctor that you've always seen, almost always there's no problem. They'll see they'll continue to see you once you're on Medicare. But that scenario that you mentioned exactly there when you're looking for a new doctor or if you move to a new area and you've got to establish relationships with all new doctors, 
you can run into the fact that there may be doctors that are just full. And so they're not taking new patients for Medicare. And then there's doctors out there doing the concierge medicine now these days too, where they don't take insurance at all and you pay them a flat fee that covers your doctor visits throughout the year. But this is of course not a good thing for people on Medicare because that's not gonna cover that for you. Uh, what have you seen, um, good or bad, some changes that have happened over the past recent years? And then, uh, see, I'm doing it again. I asked like 45 questions in a row. <laughs> You're good at this. Uh, the son of a <laughs> What have you seen in the past? And then what do you see, I guess, moving forward in, in, in regards to reform? That's only two questions. That's pretty good. Okay. Yeah, so we got it. So the changes have mostly been positive. For example, even just in the last year or two, we've seen Medicare make strides into telemedicine, um, on the Advantage plans, in 2019, they've started to allow them to cover supplemental home health benefits. So this is great because you could have, for example, you could have um, them install wheelchair ramps or bathroom grab bars, home safety modifications. You could have a person that comes out two days a week to help you with some of the basics of activities of daily living. And these are all changes that are being made in the effort to, number one, reduce ad admittances to hospitals. Number two, keep people living independently in their own homes longer. So these are all positive changes. When we see them roll them out on Advantage plans, the hope is that they'll also roll these same benefits out on original Medicare itself if this is successful in the Advantage market. So the changes that we are seeing are typically positive we're hopeful that we're going to see some change and reform on the Part D and the cost of medications, which continue to go up wildly. And Medicare, as it is now, can't negotiate rates directly with the manufacturers. But we've seen some movement on that um, in current Congress and administration, and we're hopeful that those changes will happen. But of course, the big looming change, and, and this will be the, uh, certainly a hot topic in the 2020 elections, is are we going to change to something like Medicare for all or Medicare at 50? where people can enroll in Medicare far before age 65, and it either becomes a single-payer national health insurance system or something that people can buy into earlier in life at age 50 instead of 65, so that we're taking care of that group of early retirees that may otherwise not have access to affordable coverage. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens here in the next uh, year or two as we head into the elections with that. That's interesting. I've never heard yeah, of Medicare at 50. I mean, mm -hmm. it can um, barely fund now. I mean, it, it, it shall be it, interesting to see what it happens. It seems with... like that would be expensive. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yes, you would definitely have to buy your way into that. So it could right. be pricey, but it might be cheaper than what you could find in, say, an Affordable Care Act plan with a high deductible. It might have a lower deductible and be less expensive. And so if it were to actually become a reality, I think there would be a considerable amount of interest in it. I got to tell you, Danielle, this has been very interesting. I, I didn't know that this, I, I was like going to be like, this is going to be something special, <laughs> Medicare. <laughs> but you know what? You are very, very good. This, uh, I'm as, you know, I was just on yeah. the edge of my seat. We, and we've learned a I lot. I was taking notes <laughs> and, and I got a cramp. And it's very, it's even more important for me since I'm a little closer to Medicare age than <laughs> you are. Little, right. says, a little, he says, just a little. Just a, just a wee bit. <laughs> you are Social Security eligible, sir. I, I am. You forgot so, how old yeah. you are. Yeah, Well, that's what happens in your 60s. You got it. Selective memory. Hey, uh, where can people find more information about you? We are real easy to find online. Just head on over to boomerbenefits.com. You can also find us on just about any social media at Boomer Benefits. 
boomerbenefits.com. Uh, Danielle, thank you. That was awesome. I really appreciate you hanging out with us today. You bet, guys. I enjoyed it. Thanks. So now you know where to start with Medicare. But have you figured out what you're going to do with your time in retirement? For inspiration, next week on YMYW, Rick Durso will tell us what it's like to caddy for the Symmetra Ladies Golf Tour in his retirement. If you've got an interesting retirement hustle you want to share with the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners, email me, producer Andy Last, andy.last, that's A-N-D-I dot L-A-S-T, at purefinancial.com, or just find the link to email me in the podcast show notes at your moneyyourwealth.com. Now, speaking of emails, let's get to your email questions right now. Scroll down yourmoneyyourwealth.com to ask Joe and Al on air and send in your money question as an email or a voice message, and the fellows will answer you right here in the podcast. Uh, Jason from Sacramento, California, um, he writes in, I'm a recent federal employee retiree. I may become a part-time individual contractor, self-employed. I will have to do my own estimated taxes and probably have quarterly tax payments during the year. Under the new tax law, 2019 health insurance premiums are deductible to self-employment. So, as a federal retiree, I still have health insurance coverage. I make monthly payments, so my family and I still have health insurance. The insurance is from my old job. And with or without the self-employment job, I will still have health insurance anyway. When I do become an individual contractor, will I be eligible to deduct my monthly health insurance at the end of the year during tax season? Wow, that's a that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I should pay attention. <laughs> well, first of all, so you're a recent federal employee retiree. I'll just paraphrase. Yeah, so I get, you so I get the question. It. Yeah. <laughs> And so you're you're thinking about becoming self-employed, and self-employed health insurance premiums are deductible if you have positive income. That's actually not new. That's that's continues to be true with even with the new tax act. So that's so that's available, and you still have health insurance coverage. You're making monthly payments, your family, uh, and you still have health insurance from your old job. And uh, so as an individual con- in- independent contractor, will I be eligible to deduct my monthly health insurance at the end of the year during tax season? The answer is yes, if you have positive income. So let's say you, you build your customers $40,000 and your expenses were 10000 so you got 30000 of profit. So now your health insurance premiums up to $30,000 are, are deductible against that income. It's not thirty thousand dollar health premiums. Yeah, well, <laughs> that would be a lot of health premiums. You don't have a family. That's about <laughs> right. Anyway, so the the I guess the the and, and there's other stuff too. Like for example, well, I suppose fifteen hundred bucks a month or something. Yeah, twenty five hundred. Yeah. And that's what I'm paying right now. Really? Yeah. You got the whole family on it? Uh, three of the four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still on the long term plan. <laughs> At any rate, uh, th- then half of self-employment taxes are deductible. You can set up self-employed retirement plans. There's all kinds of ways to shelter income, but self-employed health insurance premium premiums are deductible. Even but he's, he's self-employed, but his insurance premiums are through his old employer, through the federal government. Yeah, I don't care. It doesn't matter. No. So as long as he's paying health insurance. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument that maybe it's just his premiums, not his family. But I, most CPAs that I know of kind of ignore that possibility, and they just deduct them. Okay. So it doesn't. He wouldn't necessarily have to go out and get a private. No, and in, in fact, policy. You could be seventy years old on Medicare and deduct your Medicare premiums against self-employment income. That that completely qualifies. Cobra. 
Yeah, Cobra, Medicare, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Covered California. Si, <laughs> senor. <laughs> Correct. Correct, Amundo. All right. Hey, well, that was a really good question there, uh, Jason from Sacramento. I'm glad we were able to help you out there. We got Chris from VA, Virginia. Yes. I wonder whereabouts in Virginia. You ever it, been to Virginia? Uh, no. No? I, I, you, you neither, huh? No? I like to go like in the backwoods of Virginia or the bootlegging. <laughs> Happens. Yeah, I can see you kind of hanging right? out yeah. with the bootleggers. Get a little and... moonshine. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. Tasty. Yeah, right. Uh, so Chris writes in, I recently found your podcast and loving it. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, this is a tax question. My husband and I have started bunching our deductions. It's bunching now. Yes. That word, you know, it's coming back. Yes, it is. It's been around for a long time. What, now did it go out of fashion? It did. It did. And now it's coming back because it, of the new tax code. Yes. Okay. Uh, we have very high charitable deductions and not much else. So we maxed out charitable deductions last year by putting what we hadn't already given away into our donor advice fund, uh, which we are using for our charitable contributions this year. According to our tax planner... This will result in about $4,000 of tax savings every two years. Our refund for 2018 was over $10,000, and we expect a tax due of about $9,000 for 2019. We put enough of last year's refund into savings for this purpose. My question, when should we send that money to the IRS? I know that we will have a penalty if we don't pay anything in advance, and if we haven't been making quarterly payments, can I just send a large chunk of money in December to avoid the penalty? Let's break this thing up a little bit. Yeah, Al. There's, there's a couple things. There's here. like four or five different interesting tidbits yes, in this email. I agree. That we can kind of break down and share with our listener because Chris seems pretty savvy. Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, Chris, you're already following a piece of advice that we would give you. In this exact circumstance. So let's start with bunching deductions. Okay. What the hell is that, and why would someone want to bunch anything? So for a married couple, because she says she's married, the standard deduction, which is now a lot higher under the new tax law, for 2019 is $24,400. And the most that you can deduct, Joe, on, on your property taxes and state taxes is only $10,000. And for some people particularly if their mortgage is paid off, they have potentially $10,000 in taxes, and then they'd have to do 14400 in contributions just to get any benefit whatsoever. A charitable contribution. Charitable contribution, yeah. Because you, get, you always get to take your itemized deductions or your standard deduction, whichever is higher. So what the, what the like let's say you gave $10,000 away every single year, so $10,000 taxes, $10,000 for charity, that's $20,000, well, no benefit because you get the standard deduction of a little over 24000 So what you do instead is you bunch it up. So in other words, one year, maybe you do 20000 in contributions, and the next year you do nothing in contributions. That way at least one of the two years you end up with, a, with something that you can deduct as far as itemized deductions, and in their case, their accountant already did the math, and they can save about $4,000 doing it that way. Part of the problem, Joe, though, is then you're going to have one year where you owe tax, more tax, and one year where you don't, right? And so then how do you get that tax paid in? And that was really the question. Uh, which uh, So the way it works to avoid penalty, you either have to pay in 100% of last year's tax 
or a little side point, 110% if your income was over $150,000, or you pay in 90% of this year's tax. And how do you make payments? One of two ways, either have withholding from your job salary, from your pensions, that sort of thing, Social Security, you can have withholding from that, or you make estimated payments, which are quarterly payments, and it, it kind of works out the same, whether you do estimates or withholding, it's same, same, as long as you make those estimated payments quarterly. And the quarter system is kind of all goofy. The first quarter payment's due April 15th. The second one is June 15th, so it's two months later. The third one is September 15th, and the fourth one is the following year on January 15th. So in this example, assuming, um, Chris, that you need to make payments because you didn't qualify for paying in 100% of last year's tax or 90% of this year's tax, you would have to make those estimated payments quarterly. If you make them all at one time in December, you will minimize penalties, but you will still have penalties from April to December because you missed the first, second, and third estimated payment. So there's a timing issue as well. Timing issues. And if you do have a penalty, it's you're charged at the interest rate, which is currently 3%. So it's not a big number, but nevertheless, it is a penalty to be aware of. So let's say if my tax bill is $8,000, and I pay that $8,000 December 31st, right? Right. But I should have probably paid 2000 2000 2000 2000 right. right? Correct. And so I'm going to get a penalty of 3% for the $2,000 mispayment in April yeah. and another 3% penalty on the 2000 I should have paid in June. Correct. And then it, right is that and how it kind of works? And it's and it's prorated. So the one in the one in April is is essentially about nine, nine months, months late. Of, right. So so 3% times nine twelfths if you're if you're an accountant, you want to know how this works. So and the, the next one was paid in June, so roughly half the year, right? So about for about six months, you're gonna get charged for three percent interest, which in that example is a, is about a percent and a half. It usually doesn't work out into a big number unless you're talking big dollars owed. And so uh, what a lot of people do is they just they just say, well, you know, I'll just pay it when it's due, no big deal. But if you want to avoid penalty, and then some people don't want to pay one more dollar to the IRS than they have to. People get freaked they, out. They do. They do. And if that's... Like a $100 penalty, man. It's I've the seen end, people end of the lose world. their end mind. Of, end of the world. <laughs> so if that's you, and I'm not... No judgment. I mean, that's great. Uh, but then make your estimated payments quarterly. If you pay them in December, you're going to be charged a penalty. So, which is interesting, she's bunching, and she's also doing what is called a donor advice fund. Correct. Uh, what a donor advice fund is just a technique of bunching, right? So, is she bunching in the donor advice fund, I, you think, or is she doing a little bit of both? That's what I'm guessing she's doing that, but I don't know that for sure. So, so, but let's 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 because it's really it, two, guess, yeah, two, two different, different strategies. So, the bunching is where you you make. Like all your your charity, I'm going to give to the University of Florida ten thousand dollars a year. I'm not getting any tax benefit of it, yeah. so I'm going to give University of Florida twenty thousand dollars this year. Next year, I'm not going to give them a dime. Yes. The following year, I'm going to give them twenty thousand. The next year, I'm not going to give them a dime. Yes. But then the years I don't give them a dime, they call me off the hook <laughs> and say, "Joe, what happened to That's our twenty thousand dollar donation?" I was expecting twenty. Hey, what? Come on, buddy. You know you're not a fan of the alumni anymore. Right. So, so my in my experience, here's here's my suggestion. Make your first $10,000 contribution in January and then your second one in December. So it, it kind of feels like every other year to the charity, 
But in you, for Feels you, like every year to yeah, the charity. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah, for every year. Sorry, but for you, you're bunching it up in one year. Now contrast that with a donor advised fund, which is you just put money into a donor advised fund. It's a special kind of account you set up at a custodian generally. And the year you put the money in that account is the year you get a tax deduction. And then you get to decide how to dole that money out to charities at, at any point in the future. And in this example, maybe you, you make a, a bigger uh, amount to donor advice fund and then dole it out over every couple of years. So let's say I have a big income year. I'm going to put four years of contribution, $40,000 into the donor advice fund. I get the tax deduction this year. It's in the donor advised fund, then I dole that money out as I see fit for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And and a little side point, if you like the idea of the donor advised fund, and they are it is it is a pretty good idea, particularly when you're in a high tax bracket, to get that tax deduction for future year contributions in the current year, uh, is give away appreciated stock. If you have appreciated securities, mutual funds that are outside of your retirement account, give those to the donor advice fund because whatever they're worth on the data donation is your tax deduction and you don't have to pay taxes on the capital gains. So you get a double benefit. All right, that's it for us. For Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Thanks a lot for listening. Special thanks to our guest, Danielle Kunkel-Roberts of Boomer Benefits. Find the link to her website in the podcast show notes at Your Money, Your Wealth. Wealth.com. If there's something you want to know or hear on YMYW, drop us an email or let us know on our Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn pages. Tag us, we'll follow you, and the fellows will answer you right here on the podcast. All our social links and the links to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app await you in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free two-meeting financial assessment with a certified financial planner, just click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.